With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to a new edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. It's not on the whistle today. It is end of the season and I am being joined uh, by a well-holidayed co-host today. Johnny, how do you feel? Yeah, I'd like to say, um, you know, I've had a refreshing break. But um, as you know, I did go on holiday in the UK. So the only thing refreshing about it was that I got rained on at a different part of the country for the last week. Um, I did say that I have been kind of um, led astray by Cornwall's charms. I'm, I'm fully in its, um, in its merry little dance at the moment. I'm, I'm digging the vibe down there. And I've even said that I would commit to going again in my life because it, it genuinely was, yeah, I like the vibe. I like the way it was. And yes, you can't get the weather in this country. We all know that anyone from Britain, but to get a nice vibe, that goes a hell of a long way. That a nice cider, so nice cider. Yeah, it's quite, it's pretty potent, isn't it? You can't do too many of them. Well, I found a way, mate. I found you a way. Just start start early, starly, which you can on holiday. You can justify, you know. At the end of the day, no one's having a go at you for having a cider at two in the afternoon, and if they are, it's their problem, not yours. Quite frankly, it's your holiday. <laughs> I, I you agree. I, mean? I agree. Did you? Uh, where did you watch the final game of the season? Back at home or? Uh... 
I was back by that point. Um, I I missed the penultimate game of the season. Didn't even watch it. I've watched it on Premier League highlights on YouTube. And quite frankly, I was really pleased with only watching three and a half minutes of Arsenal's penultimate game because, like, it, you know, I, we, I've talked on it before about a little bit of the sting coming out of some of these fixtures. So it was nice to just get an overall report of the game and see some good goals, but not necessarily have to sit through all 90 minutes and thus, you know, ruin my holiday a little bit. So, um, yeah, it was good to get that. But I did watch the whole game against Brighton. And um, Did you watch yeah. it in a pub with friends? No, no, not at all. I was back home by this point um, after a six-hour drive um, quite late the night before. So I was a bit like, you know, I was just a bit spaced out through the whole thing, really. But... Arsenal did their best, didn't they, Pete? They did their best to rally some excitement and emotion in, in the Arsenal fan base. And, yeah, um, yeah I, I, I managed to watch it on my sofa. And there were certainly moments, at least, of glee. There were. There were. So we'll, get, we'll talk today a little bit about uh, the Brighton game. Um, you know, some of the things that we saw out of the pitch. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about fans being back in the stadium. And then I think we can talk about like, just go through a few conclusions but overall Arsenal versus Brighton uh, Potter smashed Manchester City 3-2 in the previous game he rolled up with a lot of confidence coming to the Emirates uh, but he clearly wasn't aware that he was going to be met by a vociferous group of 10,000 fans uh, and the might of Mikel Arteta's galaxy brain uh, reigning tactical genius on him like what was your what was your hot take from the Brighton game? Um, You know <clears throat> I'm not. I'm. I'm firmly in the camp, as you'll see throughout this pod. Of I'm definitely not getting carried away with <laughs> um, certain rays of sunshine that people keep promoting at the moment about where we are. And um, you know, I, I think I understand that some people want to remain positive. I'm not even trying to convince everyone of my way of thinking. I just know where I'm at with it, so I'm not getting carried away with any conclusions too much but that being said there were some positives that I thought were there for all to see Uh, namely I thought that Thomas Party has learned how to shoot again which is is nice I thought that he has has justified being able to shoot um, again in his lifetime because we were heading into a situation where someone was going to have to have a very serious chat with him like a real Colo Torre vibes Exactly. Put an arm around his shoulder and go, there's no more of this. No more. You're ruining it. You're, everyone's questioning how good you actually are because of the shooting. But he seemed to be able... All we wanted was some on target. You know what I mean, let, let's if, if you can get on target so that if the keeper has a brain fart and falls over his own shoelaces, it's a goal. Because at the moment, you're smacking them into Rose Ed. So even if the keeper does something stupid, you cannot score with that bad a shot. Um, so I'm pleased to see that he's at least getting them in the frame of the goal now. But, um, yeah, I mean, that being said, it, 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 I'm uh, kind of looking forward to a very strong second season from Thomas Party. So that, in that last game of the season, that uh, encouraging signs with, it, with his shooting, I hope can only kickstart. Maybe, who knows, maybe even a goal-scoring run next year. That'd be lovely. Um, my other one, obviously, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the... Uh, the main man at the moment, who is Nicolas Pepe, causing, <laughs> creating a stink once again, Pepe Le Pew at the yeah. Emirates. And this time we've got 10,000 fans getting to watch it. And you know what? Uh, um, I, I, I kind of feel so 
I, I don't know if I'd say, go as far as to say I feel sorry for Pepe, but in a way I have some sympathy for him because I don't think he's always been played to his strengths. Um, and I do think that sometimes, and don't get me wrong, sometimes he absolutely brings it on himself with some awful displays we've talked yep. long into the night about him going hiding sometimes. But, you know, I do think that when you actually look, as I will be with the whole season, the whole squad's achievement, when you look holistically at the, you know all of his efforts this season, he's got 10 Premier League goals, you know, three, three assists, He's had four, he scored five in, in four games in the Premier League, you know, and I know these are dead rubber games towards the end, but he's still showing you that he can do it, you know, and it and I do, I think he's one of the players who could at least I'm not guaranteeing that he will, but he could make that jump to be the kind of guy that we need, which is a if not world class talent, a kind of European class playing every week and scoring enough goals and, and affecting games enough to get you in a top four. He could do, I'm not, as again, I'm not saying he definitely will, but he does show you that he, when he's on, he's on and he's very hard to play against. And, you know, Brighton aren't getting banged up every week. You know, obviously Man City found it hard enough and Pepe had a lot of joy against them. So that was definitely encouraging. And I'd say that those two were my main takeaways out of the game. Obviously, Lord in Pepe and I thought Party certainly had a bit of a return to form. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. My main takeaway from the game, because uh, I've got some similar ones to you, really, but I don't need to rehash them. Everyone was saying that the final five games of the season were dead rubbers, and that might be true. But we were playing for Europe, technically, and it would have been easy for the players to treat those five games after the Europa League as dead rubbers, but they didn't play like they were dead rubbers. And... We had some tough games to deal with. You know, we picked up um, picked up a game against Chelsea when they were the form team uh, in Europe and they just made the Champions League final and we shithoused them. Um, we played Crystal Palace, Roy Hodgson's last game, uh, Loud Stadium. Um, you know, the narrative felt like it was, you know, they were going to get something out of the game. And, you know, we found something in the last 10 minutes, which again showed players weren't looking at those games as dead rubbers. And then we had... Um, then we had the Brighton game and, you know, that's a chance creation machine. 19 chances, six shots on target against Manchester City, three goals. Um, they they don't allow a lot of good opportunities against them. And, you know, I know that it was it was kind of a bit of brilliance from Nicolas Pepe twice. But it just goes to show, you know, like you can't really slack off against Bournemouth. Um, you know, they might not score goals, but they will create against you and they have created against Arsenal in the past. So I was... Um, I felt I took a lot from dead rubber games being played like there was something on them and us fighting Spurs till the very last for a pretty grim prize. It wasn't like we were fighting for Champions League football. So to to muster that sort of effort was um, was a real positive. And, you know, I completely agree with you on uh, on, on Nicolas Pepe. Uh, you know, and we can talk a little bit more about him later on. Um, but overall, I loved the fans being back. You know, you absolutely forget the joy of fans in the game. Like, you, you know, it, it doesn't take long to get used to the whatever the new normal is. And the new normal with no fans in the stadium, I've kind of adapted to it. So when yeah. you're watching a game of like Kieran Tierney against Crystal Palace being booed off the pitch, I, I bet he's never felt more joy about being <laughs> hammered by Crystal Palace fans. And then um, 
you know, I, I, I was kind of maybe expecting that there would be a bit of a protest, but then I remember I'd been a season ticket at Arsenal for 20 years and there was no chance they were bringing that into the stadium when they came back. A couple of signs here and there, but it was nice to hear fans cheering. It was nice to see Nicolas Pepe run over to a group of supporters and, and get a bit of love. And it was nice to see the players putting on a performance for the fans. Like if the, that stadium was empty, maybe we wouldn't have had the last 20 minutes that we had, but they were, they were showing off. You know, they got the bit between their teeth and they were showing off. And, um, you know, it, it wouldn't have been like that all season for sure. And Arteta's probably, if Arteta has had his bad patch, thank the Lord that he didn't have it in the Emirates. But um, I, I I'm, can't wait uh, for next season. The hope that we can get back to full capacity sharpish. You know, I'm here in New York. They had a Knicks game the other night nearly full capacity you've got the the vaccinated people on the left and the, you know the 14 non-vaccinated people sitting on their own with 20 <laughs> feet of space on the right but um it felt uh it you know it, it was a shit season it was a nice way to end and because we ended that way the talk is a lot more positive on the internet and that makes the summer a little bit more easy uh, to deal with you know we, Una Emery lost the Europa League final 4-1 to Chelsea and the summer was unbearable we had a cup win last year and it was a bet, you know, it was an okay summer and a tough year. And this summer will at least not be slagging the manager every day and every single decision they make. We're kind of looking forward to seeing what comes out the other side. So I left the season feeling positive, despite there obviously being a lot of bad things. Um, I've, I've, I've got to be honest. I, I disagree with a lot of it. And we usually agree on a lot of things, but I disagree with, a number of, uh, of things there. In it, and first of all, um, it would I'd pull you up a little bit on the protest in the ground, Jesse. From what I saw from the reports, there was a protest there. There was very much... You've got to remember there was only 10,000 allowed in. For, I saw pictures pre-game of the armoury being covered in signs with Conky out, some of them with the F the process. Um, but, you know, I think there's still that vociferous anger, but you've got to remember that some of the people in terms of their activism, when it comes to trying to get rid of this regime, like there's, there's not um, a universality when it comes to how people think they should attack this process. So, yeah. so, you know, some, some people are like, I'm not buying the kits. Other people are like, well, I still support Arsenal. So I'm buying the kits, but I'm going to write a blog. You know, uh, you know, other people are like, I'm not going to the games. I'm giving up my season ticket. Other people are like, I am going to go to the games. I'm not going to put... So, you know, without that homogenous kind of group that all act together in terms of the, the way that they make their feelings known, of course, it's not going to be as clear. But I do think the anger is still there. And I just think that people are going about that in different ways. And, and obviously, the main focus of the IA is definitely... The, the the ownership of the club and that's rightful but I definitely think there's a lot of people who bundle Arteta in with that gang I'm one of them let's be really clear I don't think he should be the manager I think um, it you know and, and I, I appreciate if you feel like we've kind of gone over this and you think it, he's going to stay anyway I know a lot of people think that and it may be the case but I still think as we've said many times in it he's earned the sack it would be. I would prefer to see him moved on, and I, I, I don't have the same faith in the man anymore. But um, you know, if he is to stay, I don't think. I don't think we're in a, as bad a situation as we could have been. 
you know, towards the end of, um, you know, one thing I definitely agree with you on in terms of like towards the end of Emery's reign, I do think he lost the dressing room way more than what we're seeing with Arteta. I do think that they're somewhat playing for him, but I do think some are disillusioned and there will be a lot of other players that actually have to leave the club, um, as I'm sure we can kind of talk about, because uh, we've heard a lot of rumours about a number of players wanting to leave. Um, and in terms of uh, just in general feeling good about the season, for me at this point, you know, we get to genuinely look back on the season. I am firmly against all of those. I respect their right to do it, but firmly against those. And, I've, and I firmly put you in the category, Pete. Of, Listen, I'm chief um, propaganda officer, so yeah, uh, exactly. I, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I'm being reasonable about this. I'm not. This is it. I'm, and I, I, you'll know who I'm talking about exactly when I'm talking about the people who are constantly promoting the table since Christmas yep. <laughs> PR campaign. Second, yep. third, you know, I, I think we should start putting at the table since we were knocked out of the Europa League by our previous manager who got booed out of a club for being inadequate and he knocked us out. But since since he knocked us out of the only competition we could win, we, we'd be top of the league with our league record. So should we take it from that point? I'm not so sure, you know. I don't know if we can draw these arbitrary lines. Ultimately, the way I see it is this has been the worst season, arguably... If, if not my lifetime, secondly, certainly the second worst season. Yeah, look, I mean, I wanted to touch, I thought it was quite an interesting point that you made about uh, Arsenal fans not being able to agree on how to attack the, the system. I, I don't actually think fans from any club um, really have a, a singular answer because it's a very sort of dense, nuanced problem. It's like, are you attacking greed? Well, like you're probably not going to win that battle. Are you attacking ownership more broadly? How do you win that battle? And then you're like, well, do we want fan involvement? I've seen quite a lot of rallying behind, well, who, who are the fans that we're going to get involved here? Like, it feels like there's a privileged few that will, that will get these board seats. Do they really speak to me? And then you get into the, you don't speak for me sort of stuff. And then it's, and then, and then by the end of it, you're just fighting with each other about all these sort of minor things. And there's never um, a, clear, a clear direction because even amongst the fan groups, you've got the AST, which is kind of like the, 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 fancy, the fancy side of it. You've got ISA, which is kind of more like your sort of um, your everyday fans. You've got Black Scarf, which is a little bit more the kind of like revolutionary approach. There's a whole lot of different personalities and it's difficult to unite everybody behind one idea, apart from when it's Super League, because everyone's like, fuck that. And that was yeah. uh, an easy one to get behind. So I thought that was, um, I thought that was quite an interesting point. Yeah, w- uh, like I, 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 with, with regards to Arteta, like I, I, I if I, w- when I was basing the, the, the season after Villarreal, like it's obviously hyped up emotion and you're like, especially for me, it was very emotional because it was Unai Emery that like sunk the sword, you know, deep into my soul. Um, but if we're gonna if we're gonna step back and look at the season in its totality, yeah, it was shit. But it was shit for most clubs um, this season. And it, the the reason that I draw the table uh, post Christmas is because fundamental things shifted post-Christmas everyone and if you want to see improvement what's the improvement that you want and if we sacked Arteta we brought somebody in and they delivered the same results in the league um till the end of the season even in the Europa League 
um, you'd be saying, oh, well, I'm very excited about next season. 24 games is 62% of the season. We added creativity. We got rid of the bums behind the scenes that were causing the problems. We got Thomas Party back fit. And there's a consistent run of games that says you'd be, uh, like, across every metric, you're in the top three. Points, goals, um, and defensive record. Across the whole season, third in the entire league. Like, there is a, a, a good platform to build from if you reduce the errors in defense and you improve um, out-of-sorts efficiency in front of goal. Aubameyang scoring 10 goals, being worth the 10 goals. His XG was 10 goals. I don't think you're going to get that next season. And I think if we add a few names um, and pump up the quality in the squad... And if we have an entire season of what we just did, we'd be champ- we'll be in the Champions League next year, all, all going well. So um, I know that, uh, like, I'm, I'm, my view is very half, you know, glass half full. I still think that there's a lot of things that need to be done behind the, the scenes to achieve that. We've got to find the right players. We've got to make the right decisions. And Arteta and Edu certainly haven't shown that they are capable of that. But if we sign up players like we did in January, if we exit well, and if we fix a few of the coaching problems, which is a lot to ask, I don't see why we can't compete for top four next season. And that's the goal, not winning the title straight away, get it like scrambling into that top four. And I think we've got, um, you know, I think there's a lot to be positive about, but you could still be realistic and say it was uh, it was a shit season. But if you're six points off Chelsea, who spent 250 million on the top four squad last summer, if you're, eight points off Liverpool in third. It doesn't matter how shit our season was. Better teams are having even worse seasons than us with better managers. So I think that there's um, signs for optimism, but uh, you know, I, I understand your point of view totally because you said what your rules were and you're not deviating from them. Yeah. And I mean, I, I do get where you're coming from. I do. I do. You know, and I know there'll be loads of fans who will have their own chats between their own mates groups and yeah. some will be entrenched in your camp and some will see things through my lens a bit more. Um, I, you know, just to come back a little bit on one of your points um, and then a more positive spin. Um, you know, we could talk about being six points off Chelsea. The reality is Chelsea were in the Champions League final. They were in the FA Cup final. You know, they bottled the FA Cup final. Great. Love that. But and nearly, Champions- nearly, nearly the Champions League. Leicester, yeah. Leicester bottled the Champions League for them. Exactly. And that, and that's fair enough. But, you know, the fact is, is they still are in the Champions League. They're in the Champions League final. So even in a season where they sack their manager and they've, you, you know, you say it yourself, they've had... A, See the thing. The thing for me is, is apart from Liverpool, who I think have got had freak injuries in a ways that you know when all of your defensive line are out and you're playing people who would wouldn't even get a game otherwise week in week out, they are gonna struggle and they still made it in. Um, but Chelsea have sacked their manager, got to two cup finals, and you know when you have a manager for a longer period of time, this is one of the issues facing Wenger over all those years is. You know, people look back and, and you might have seen these in, you know, in internet forums, a lot of people kind of bringing up or, or looking fondly on on Wenger's, you know, end years and being like, look, we just didn't appreciate the man yeah. while he was here. You know, the reality is, is what people don't get is there's a sliding scale. If you've been a manager of a club for 20 years, just getting in the top four is not enough anymore because there has to be some benefit for maintaining you as a manager, as opposed to just trying to get rid of you and get the next best thing and new ideas in. 
the continuity of having the same manager in place should bring about extra performance on a team like Chelsea, Chelsea, where they're bringing in mercenary managers and changing it all the time. You should get a benefit off of the continuity. However, yeah. you don't. And with Arteta, we've had him longer than two shows been in, but he's got to two cup finals and, and got in the Champions League. And Arteta... Hey, you know, hey, community shield... And no, the FA Cup final, right? I am so. Come I on, let's so let's let's respect. Let, you have to win something to get into the Community Shield. That's true. That's true. But um, to end on the positive out of this, what I would say is, and this is the biggest positive for me, uh, and to link up with again, I, I don't know where we'll we'll perform next year. I'm not that optimistic. But if there is one thing that makes me more optimistic, it's that for me, I think the results went our way on Sunday. What I didn't want out of Sunday was the real apocalypse scenario, which was we ended up in the Europa League conference, whatever it's called, with some of the powerhouses like Hibernians and another trip to Dundalk for a back and forth with them, you know, playing against guys who've got, you know, who are self-employed during the week, putting putting up Ikea cabinets in people's houses and then having a kickabout on the weekend. We don't need that. And everyone keeps going because this is one of the biggest kind of points of contention with Arsenal fans I've seen over Twitter of people being a bit like, you know, how can you be so dismissive of European football? Like European football's great. And and for me, I'm like, no, this is this is how I feel about it. Number one, why there is no prestige to that tournament at all. Nothing. Nothing there. There are no there's no intrigue in playing those teams. They are, you know, run of the mill runs. And if we won that trophy, how much pride are we really taking from roughhousing third string European teams it is it, you know for, to, to focus that much on a European competition you have to feel like you've beaten some of European Europe's best even the Europa League has got some kind of uh, a bit more credibility in recent years because of those Champions League teams dropping in and and some good quality teams starting off in it so for me I think when you try to juxtapose that with the the position we find ourselves in where we can have a look at the league next year with no distractions in Europe whatsoever. And you look how that has benefited teams in the past, the likes of Liverpool in recent years. Um, and you look at how having those no distractions and Leicester, obviously, when they won the league, granted they nearly went down the year before, but hey, that's a precedent. Maybe we, we've got a chance after this season, you know, to basically just come in, focus completely on the league. Everything is geared up for these big league games, maybe around the FA Cup. And we have to absolutely at that point set top four as a minimum requirement because, to be honest, if we don't look like we're getting top four, I think, you know, the chances are we'll, even if he's not going to get sacked in the summer, he definitely won't make it past Christmas if we're not looking decent. I think that the the silence of Spurs fans is just utterly spectacular. They finished (laughs) above us. I haven't had a single text message from a Spurs fans, and I know plenty. Uh, gloating about it because they, in one game, Gareth Bale sent them to the worst European competition of all time. (laughs) They took Leicester out of the Champions League and put Chelsea back in contention in top four, making life (laughs) a little bit easier for them in the Champions League final. And they left Arsenal, um, uh, you know, a whole week between games, which is the the ultimate. I completely agree with you. And just listen to some of the grim teams in the European uh, competition. Inter Turchi, Honka, <laughs> Gag- Gagra, 
uh, Pod Podgorica, uh, Sligo Rovers, Bohemia. <laughs> There's even a team called Europa FC from Gibraltar. I mean, oh. I'm completely with you. Arsenal fans being like, it's a disgrace we're not in Europe. Not that sort of Europe. Do you know what no. makes it even worse? Um, the team that finishes third place in the group stages in the Europa League filter down into the knockout it's rounds. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Imagine like the type of team that finishes third in the Europa League. Imagine them being the big boys coming in. <laughs> Clicking their fingers. Oh, yeah. And and, and the the other thing that I love about it is players won't give a shit. Players will feel like disgusted. It will will be like being picked for the first round of the the League Cup when you're in a top six team. And you will get bad performances. You'll get people faking illnesses not to go there. And the beauty of it also is the shit of the European competition. generally the 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 more decentralized teams are from big cities so you have to take a a a flight to a capital then it could be a four five hour coach journey then you roll up into a team that's got a a, 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 an income of sixty thousand euros a year the pitch is like a car park then players pick up injuries they've got long journeys home like i think that the the europa conference is bad news for spurs because they're going to lose harry kane Sun is at the Olympics. They've got a new manager coming in. God knows who Daniel Levy is going to pick. And they've got a rebuild off the back yep. of it. So I think the, the Europa Conference is exactly what Spurs deserved after what they did in the final game of the season. Yeah, I cheered 100%. You know, you, you, you've summed that up really well. Um, and I just think for those people as well that not only kind of accuse us those that didn't want to be in the conference of being a bit, I guess, arrogant or, or, or being a bit, you know, having delusions of grandeur. The other thing that they kind of promote it as a, as a positive would be that we would be playing our kids all the time. You know, these people, I don't think have paid attention to how Arsenal roll, you know, for the last God knows how long we do not just play our kids. What we'll do is we'll play a couple of kids in the first and second round then if Arteta is getting under, you know, under pressure in the league, he'll start needing to dig up a few big results in the conference to try and turn to turn uh, turn heads back around. So you'll find Aubameyang playing against uh, Hibernians or some of the other wonderful teams that you reeled off there. And you, before big games, it'll be like, oh, most of our reserves are injured, so we're just going to play a couple of first team players to have some continuity in our team to make sure that we're roughing up these the, these amazing teams that we're playing. And and before you know it, we'll be picking up injuries. It will be affecting form. And it, ultimately, the key word is distraction. It will be a distraction and a completely unnecessary one. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, Arteta would roll up to Puskas Academia <laughs> uh, with, um, with first-team players. And I, I think the... I actually don't think he did that last season. I think what I think his vision for last season was you keep um, fringe players fit and feeling included rather than rolling it out like Arsene Wenger would with a Carlin Cup side. And ultimately, it was a mistake because he should have been giving those uh, Mustafi minutes to William Saliba and he yeah. didn't. And I, I don't know whether you could rely on him to do that. And also, it's just fucking boring. It's yeah. really, you know, what. I understand why they do that because they want to distribute wealth um, 
through European football and it's it's got good intentions but it's kind of like the World Cup like the World Cup in the group stages now isn't as interesting and it's you know easy to switch off so I think that I think that missing out on that is absolutely vital on on the last game of the season and also it takes away it doesn't just take away distraction it takes away an excuse yeah because if um you know Arteta is gonna do some big stuff in the squad this summer hopefully we're going to sell a lot of players we're going to have to replace a lot of players we're going to have to replace a lot of big personalities I mean you saw uh, the dressing room enraptured by David Luiz's leaving speech you saw him like dancing a merry dance with all of the players and they love him and although the football might not be there the leadership certainly is um, in certain aspects so we've got to re- do a lot of stuff at the start of the season to, so to have a week to train every week for most of the season, I think, it, I think it could be huge. And look, West Ham are going to get hammered next year yeah. because they're not going to be able to deal with it. You know, West Ham had a, a week to, to be fully fit and they're a big side and then they could just smash you all over the place. And we saw it, you know, when we, went, when we played at their place and they, you know, 3-0 up after 20 minutes. I think that they're going to struggle next season. And hopefully, hopefully we pick up the benefit that Leicester had in 2016 West Ham had last year. I think the last time Chelsea won a league title, I don't think that they were in any competitions. Yeah. And I'm not saying we're going to win the Premier League, but the job is to get to top four. And I think there's, you know, if we re- if we hire well in the in the summer, if we replace some of the dross, then I think that there's there there isn't there has to be there has to be an attempt at top four. It can't be fifth next season. There has to be an attempt at top four to prove out this horrible two and a half years that we've had to deal with. Oh, I don't, I don't think even the most ardent Arteta fan, if we don't get top four without the distractions of Europe next year, I don't think any, anyone would have a leg to stand on with the man. You know, he, I, 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 I personally think that that's not going to happen anyway, as, as I've been over. I think that um, I'm not convinced by him anymore. I just, I, for me, I've seen enough that I, I, I couldn't guarantee he'll be a failure with his career, I've said that before. There are certainly some bright sparks, but there's as many cons as there are pros, as I've also said. And I feel that he will find a way to fuck it up next year. Um, and it, it, he might, we might have some nice bits of form, but I feel like there will be um, same problems with a different mask on next year. It will be same kinds of issues, just with new um, players having those issues and. And um, different, basically the same problems that look different. And I'm not convinced that he learns from his mistakes quick enough. That's one of the biggest takeaways from the season for me and and for his tenure in general. Um, But listen, if, if he is to stay, and obviously I want him to succeed because... I just want Arsenal to do well. It isn't yeah. about a pride thing, like, oh, I, I, he's got to go. No, no, I want him to do well. The fact is, is I just don't think he is going to, and I think ultimately we're wasting time. That's that's what it kind of comes down to. But for me, you know, I obviously said it with the Europa League this year, but I don't think, if we don't look like we're getting top four, or we're going to be in those discussions by Christmas, I don't know how we'll survive from, that, from his job. I don't... I didn't, the only only thing that kind of maintains him in his in his role is that we have a, a board that are shirkers. They are 
people that clearly don't seem to have the kind of footballing acumen to one appraise Arteta properly and two set about making the correct replacements, either supporting him if he's going to stay or replacing him with, you know, an actual successful candidate because they've made, in my mind, two bad appointments so far or certainly ones that haven't worked out. Um, And so, you know, we've talked about as well with the lack of either stewardship from above, you know, that kind of support structure or accountability means that I think that, Unfortunately for Arteta, I think it might it might um, you know be his undoing in the long run. And I don't necessarily. This is why I don't necessarily know that. Regardless, with realistic you know expectations, regardless of the players we sign, I don't think it's going to correct the issues that I think we are facing. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe we can talk about some of the players that you think if you do believe it would get us over the line, who those players would be. There are some obvious names, you know, when we talk about Basuma, um, everyone seems to be mentioning him and can we get him? We're, we've been um, linked with a number of players, even through to Tammy Abraham, I saw <laughs> mentioned today in terms of a, a, a striking um, <laughs> Don't option. go there, please, Arsenal. <laughs> Stop yeah, it. exactly. Stop going back to the trough of Chelsea. Yeah, I, but I mean, you know, we know we're going to replace a lot, but whether or not we could create a nucleus of independent players, players who are not going to be influenced by the legacy of recent Arsenal teams, players who are mature enough and are strong enough leaders to be able to set a new culture at the club. I'm not sure we're going to be able to get that done in an, over the next three months whilst there's also a European Championship going on. I uh, yeah I, I I think that I think that there are some very clear areas that we are just going to be immediately better off. Like keep this keep the squad exactly the same going into next year. What are you going to get? Smith Rowe playing with confidence. He's not going to the Euros. He's going to be fit. Bakayo Saka we found a a, a a position that he thrives in now, and he's going to be a, a season on. You already mentioned it. The, the slander that Thomas Partey gets, you know, when he's basically been underpinning an entire midfield is, is outrageous. I think that he will have a big season next year and I really hope that his injury issues um, are behind him. Uh, Kieran Tierney gets some backup at left back so that we don't run him into the ground. Like, we haven't had a right back all year. Let's be, let's be honest. We really haven't had a right back all year. And then the, I think the most crucial part is striker it's can can we like we're under Emery Lacazette and Aubameyang were the most clinical strikers in the league our, our, our conversion rate was like 23 and a half percent or something like that Aubameyang dropped down to 17 percent this year is he gonna have a year where he's got family problems again is he gonna have a year where he gets malaria Again, like the hope is that this season was just a shit pandemic year for him. Because if you get him going from 10 goals back up to 30, you're in a much better position. Uh, but even if you don't, there are star options that are potentially coming through. Like Martinelli is going to be fitter, stronger, and hopefully show his metal next season. 
Flo Balagam might be a, an interesting option. So I think just even looking at the basics of the squad that we have right now, there are some clear gaps the, that we can fill. Like, I don't think we're going to go into the season with the same midfield. Like, if we sign someone like Basuma, I mean, like, those tackles, assists, the way that he can open up play with his, you know, vertical passing, then you've got uh, an entirely different side that you're looking at. And that system that's a little bit slow, a little bit lacking confidence, um, not because of Arteta, but just because they can't play those vertical balls that he's looking for. I think that you've got um, a team that can bang rather than a team that has to rely on those sort of fine margin elements. So that's my, I mean, it's a very optimistic hope that I've got, but I do think that generally he learns, he has learned from mistakes. I mean, he learned, he went from fine margin shithousing to trying to play more expansive. Then he realized that he couldn't play more expansive football without creators. So he bought creators um, to the club and he managed to keep a fairly buttoned up second half of the season while scoring the second most goals. So I think the lessons are being learned. It's just doing dumb shit like false nining Smith Rowe, which really he should have been protected from doing by his coaching staff. Like what was Steve Round playing at thinking that that was an acceptable idea? Um, and then the other <laughs> last hope, surely Burnt Leno can't be that, uh, you know, Burnt Leno wasn't in the top 10 on Football 365's website, wasn't in the top 10 keepers, yet he conceded the third least goals. If he has a better season next season, could we go from 38 to sub 30? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it was, you know, you who pretty much broke the fact that you said Leno wanted to go. So all that I keep hearing is he'll be pushing for a move this summer, whether or not we keep him. You know, at the end of the day, I think there's a number of Arsenal fans who can look at Leno and say, yeah, he's, you know, he's not like a terrible keeper. I, I don't think that is anyone's assessment, but can we do better than him? I think we can. I think we had a better keeper than him last year. Yeah. You know, and we, and that, that again was Arteta's call ultimately. But when I say same mistakes as well, a lot of it is player management, you know, and it's, um, you know, not being able to give certain players. I mean, we still not seen Balogun towards the end of the season. Like what, what's going on there? Why do some players just get isolated and frozen out? These are the, kind of same mistakes with different faces. And I think that now you look at some some areas of the squad getting cleaned out, but now it looks like, you know, what's going to happen with Joe Willock coming back? Now I'm hearing he's getting a squad number and, and no, all the signs they're gonna, are... it's negotiation. They're going to sell him. Yeah, I, 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 do you know what? I think they, they, that we may should. well be the case. but And we should, we should. Um, but... But only for a good, only for good money, and I think you know, I think he goes for at least thirty million now. He's scoring every week. Yeah. Um, he's, but- you know, what he's uh, Joe Willock is at the point. Um, Reese Nelson was at Hoffenheim, where he scored like eight goals from twelve shots. Like, just don't take this as the eighty games that happened before at Arsenal are irrelevant because he scored seven goals for a Newcastle team that's built around him. Sell him. That's the test, right? Don't bring him back like you did. Like at Maitland-Niles, we kept. Martinez, we got rid of. I thought you were all for setting arbitrary lines where you can start scoring from. You know, Joe Willock, he can go, look at look at my goal-scoring chart from the last eight games. I, I am one of the best players in the league. If Arteta can be judged from Christmas, Willock can be judged, uh, judged from um, eight games. No, I, I don't know. Look, but but fact- you know, my, my, my thing is that it's like... Um, Newcastle can build a team around counter-attacking at speed. And that's where Joe Willock thrives. 
Arteta is possession based, and we, you know, we camp out in their area, and we these combination passes, and it doesn't suit his natural ability to run at players uh, and arrive in the box late for those goals. So I don't even know whether, like, I don't know whether Joe Willock suits what we're trying to do at Arsenal. And yeah, I think no, that he I've... would probably prefer to like if you're Joe Willock, Newcastle, you're a fucking superstar. That whole city is built around the stadium. Do you want to be the centerpiece at Newcastle, mid-table team, and then maybe move on from there? Or do you want to come to Arsenal and get rotated, you know, yeah. with Jacker at left back? No, you are you are right. And that is the overall sound assessment. I think I do think that some people have been a bit dismissive of him because Scoring this many goals, like it's not to you turn your nose superb. up at. Absolutely you know, look, look at look at how many players we've got who scored that many goals in the league. You know, like I think Pepe. I d- I'm not sure there's anyone else. To be fair, it's close. He scored, yeah, eight has goals. He, has any scored more goals than anybody in the Chelsea side? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. something crazy yeah. like that. It's, Jorginho's yeah. their top scorer, though, so that's a oh, lot yeah. from penalties. He's scored more goals than anyone apart from Jorginho who scored penalties. And the other thing is, I watched a lot of Newcastle at the start of the season because they're always on NBC. They are so bad in the final third. Like, no no creativity uh, apart from um, Alan St. Maxim. Maximum, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, but th- like for Joe Willock to score that many goals in that many in those successive games is a true testament to his raw ability. Like, let's not, I, I completely agree with you. Like people sniffing at it. It's like, he's, he's a, he's a Premier Newcastle. League, he's a Premier League player. Like this Absolutely. is what I don't, the other side of it, you know, I've had some people, some of my mates even banging on him and just being like, Oh, you know, he's not good enough for Arsenal or whatever. That's fine. You can be not good enough for Arsenal and still be good enough for the Premier League. Yeah. I think that's who Joe Willock is. Like he's someone who, who has showed that he can make the difference in game. At the end of the day, if you're scoring eight goals in, in 10 games or whatever, that is good enough for 66% of the teams in this league. They will take you and they'll play you, and they should. And so, you know, could Joe Willock play for Crystal Palace? Yes, he could. Could he play? You know, the, these are all teams. Obviously, Newcastle we can. But So I think we should be... I'm not sure Newcastle will have the money or the desire from... Uh, chairman level to cough up the sports direct funds but ultimately we shouldn't be accepting less than 30 million pound for once we've got a player that we're ready to sell who's English and thus getting the British premium and just strung together a lovely bit of form which you can't deny as a prospective buying club so we should be able to dig our heels in over this and say 30 or nothing. You do have to say as well what 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 were Eddie and Ketia and Reese Nelson thinking? They should have been like, if you are not going to play me, which let's be honest with Eddie, Flo Balogun was always going to be the priority over him, and even he's not getting games. Like you could have shot windows yourself in the same way. Eddie and Ketia at Brighton probably gets fifteen goals this season. Reese Nelson at Crystal Palace probably gets five goals and seven assists or something like that. You know, they would shine at clubs where uh, they can play to their strengths. I just can't believe, you know, who is advising them that just sitting on Arsenal's bench is a, is a good career move. It's just, uh, you know, just pre- preposterous. And especially Reese, because we knew he wasn't going to start at the start of the season. And at least, you know, Eddie had a few games. And he as well, you know, Eddie also can... It's going to be like the kind of millstone around his neck now. But um, everyone points to his England under twenty three record. Oh, it scored so many goals, you know, or under twenty one. Sorry, um, 
And so he has, to that extent, even at junior international level, got some achievements under his belt for looking so so impressive at that level. Reese Nelson's done nothing. You know, throughout his career, he just has not made that step up to show anyone that he is anything more than just promise. And so you're right, like you do at some point as a player, have to get yourself out there to just show, like Joe Willock uh, has done, that I can play at this level, even if it ain't at your club. Whereas Reese Nelson, if he, you know, if we try to sell him, who in the Premier League is going to come in for him necessarily? We might get some. He might be going to the Championship. Like he's, Eddie he'd be, he'd be lucky to get a move to a club like Brentford now, yeah. right? Because uh, like, who's going to take a chance um, on someone that? It, it, but f- football is 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 a game where you have to be in, at, at the forefront of people's minds. Joe Willock this summer will probably attract clubs outside of Newcastle. Because anybody coming up is going to be like a a kid that can score seven goals in seven games. That would work well for us. I mean, how many teams go down because they don't have somebody that can put the ball in the back of the net? I mean, Fulham, uh, Fulham this season. Imagine what they could have done with somebody like that in their side. So I think this, I I think that there's a, a crop of youngsters that we, that have value because of the homegrown rule, but also because there's definitely talent that lives within. I mean, I know a lot of people in the game think that Reese Nelson has the ability to be whoever he wants to be, but maybe not the the correct focus. Joe Willock was a, you know, one that it wasn't always as sharp as he should be. Um, and Eddie is another one. I think they're they're the they're the three or there's a few hairlenders in there that have got a lot of talent, but maybe think they're a little bit too Arsenal. And, you know, like it, it puts them above their station. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm you know, really happy for Joe Willock, though. Fantastic that he's taken his chance like that. Yeah, Ainsley as well is the other name that springs to mind. Um, obviously, at West Brom, won't stay there. I've, they've gone down. Um, and so we're going to have to work out what we're going to do with him. But ultimately, I think he's basically made his feelings clear that he wants to move on now because he doesn't. And I think he's got legitimate concern that if Arteta stays on, then, you know, there there won't be a future for Ainsley there. He's, I think he's made it quite clear at this stage. So we'd be still expecting decent money for him as well. But this is why we really need to set about selling some of these players with a bit of haste. Because some of these guys, like some of the guys who make their reputation, if you look at Ainsley Mate and Niles, for instance, and I think a lot of Arsenal fans hold him in reasonable, reasonably high regard. They've seen some good performances from him. But if you were a, a you know, a, a, an executive of a different team looking at potential prospects, as you've just kind of um, laid out, Pete, like, you, you know, last year, he just had some great games in the FA Cup, looking great in the Community Shield, Ainsley, we could have fetched a decent price for. Since then, he's been on loan to West Brom, and and I'm not saying he was a disaster there or anything like that, but we weren't hearing rave reviews from West Brom over Ainsley. It was like, yeah, okay, decent Premier League level. Yeah, okay. He's not getting a move as a centre midfielder in a decent Premier League team. He's a right back. Exactly, exactly. So he's going to have to get his head around that, and... To be honest, from sending him out on loan like that, as as much as it's benefited us with Willock in terms of driving up his price, Ainsley's probably gone the other way, maybe not to the same extent. But, you know, if we could have got at least 30 million, I think, for Ainsley as a, a, a player last year after that FA Cup final and the Community Shield, well, then suddenly we're probably looking at 25 to 20 off of the back of 
Um, you know, I don't think he's going to be attracting anyone above like the bottom six next year uh, coming in for his signature. So we really need to move these guys on when they start getting in the team. If they're not going to make it, if they've shown some good glimpses, got to cash in on them. You can't let them destroy any kind of cachet they've built up uh, and respect from other, man- you know, um, kind of um, eyes looking on with uh, affectionate eyes from other clubs, I should say. Yeah, agree. And it's, um, you know, even Matteo Guendouzi, it's like, didn't really shower himself in glory. He just, if anything, he kind of reinforced why he was booted from Arsenal. But it seems that Marseille might be interested in him. The only, I think the the only player that's going to come back from a loan and survive, I suspect, is Saliba. And um, I think that that's good news for everybody. Still got a lot to work on in his game, but... It, it, you know, I wrote today in the blog that the the biggest mistake of Arteta's tenure so far is without doubt signing William. And he signed William because he thought William would pick up his ideas quicker than younger players. He was incorrect. And he gave all those minutes that were development minutes to a player that's going to have, that's probably going to get let go on a free if we can this summer. And I hope the lesson that Arteta takes from this season is if you'd given those development minutes to Nico in October to December, maybe we would have got the back end of the season form that happened at the start of March. Maybe we would have got that in January and maybe he would have fired us to top four. Maybe we get six more points out of, the Wolves game out of the Aston Villa game. Um, And my hope is that next season it's, you know, David Luiz is our best ball playing centre-back without a doubt. We played better without, you know, ignoring the mistakes and the red cards and the penalties. We played better with him in the side. The system works. The temptation I would imagine would be to sign in a right-sided centre-back that can play with the ball. The opportunity could be, well, why don't you just put Saliba in the team? Maybe it's a rough two, three months, but maybe a month four, he starts to play to the same level as David Luiz. Maybe by month seven, he's playing like a Fofana, uh, yeah. Leicester. Like my hope is that the lesson of this year is senior players don't want to learn new tricks. They're not here for your fucking bullshit. You don't have pedigree for major trophies, so fuck you. What he's learned is that the young players will eat up those lessons because they want to get better. They want the opportunity and they want to thrive. And it seems like the Athletics saying there's a cult-like, um, you know, devotion to him in some sections. I bet you it's players like Pepe. I bet you it's Saka, Smith Rowe and the kids who were like, this is going to make me better and it's going to allow me to be whatever I want in my career. So the Saliba thing is also a test. You know, will he take the risk on training up a young player, or do we go in for somebody more seasoned that might clog up the system? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I definitely think that I am like a lot of Arsenal fans who look at the Saliba situation and say anything other than bringing him back and playing him next year is absolutely unacceptable. That's your first biggest, you know, um, crowd. Uh, in, uh, incendiary uh, behaviour for next yeah. season. If you bring yeah. him into the situ- bring him back to the club and don't play him again, 
then you're asking for everything you get and it will be the end of you anyway because we need to have a look at the guy. You know, I, I, it doesn't matter whether people are as excited by Saliba as I am or, or less excited. No one can draw proper assessments on him because we've not seen him play in the Premier League and he's been shipped out on a six-month loan you know, to Nice. And ultimately, yes, you, you know, how you judge that loan as a success or not is dependent on your outlook on the player. But he's only had six months to get in there and all of a sudden we're going to rip him out of that situation and make him have to you know, change again and adapt again, when really, as you've stated, he should be getting into a season where we were struggling anyway and making those mistakes so that further down the line they don't happen anymore. Um, so, yeah, there, there is, there's, there's no other way when it comes to Sleeper. He needs to be playing. In, in terms of overall kind of outlook, and I mean, the way we play as well, Pete, in general, I do feel like, I'm not that excited by it. I'm really not. And to be honest, you may you may be right when you say that if we had you know a change of personnel, it might seriously change the results and therefore the outlook on how we um, you know perceive what Arteta's project is and how it's doing. But you know, a lot of the games, of course, they I believe they were dead rubbers over the last few weeks, and but they just. It just feels quite boring the way that we go about things at the moment. And I just feel that considering the way that the season has gone, more could have been done to have kept the joy alive, the excitement alive through blooding players like Aziz, blooding players like Balogun towards the end, when in these games where, yes, Pepe's rediscovered his form, but you know, I don't know what's happening with Erdegaard. I'm not sure that we should actually invest in him either. I don't think it'd be a disaster, but it would have to be at a good price, you know. Whereas when we've got someone like Balogun, who's just signed and he's going to be around, let's have a look at him. Let, why is that not happening? Let's have a look at Aziz. Let's just see it. And so, you know, I, that would at least inspire me a little bit more, get, me, get my blood going a little bit more. Whereas whilst... There are some rays of light with regards to Pepe's performances, as I just said. There are also patches of play, the way we attack games, where I just get a bit disillusioned with it all. And, I, and that's why I don't feel like as infused by, at the prospect of another season of this. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But no. also... When you talk about the excitement of football, look, you've got to put a few more players in there to to truly see how we're supposed to play. Like when you've got a back four and no one can pass through the lines, yeah. you're always going to struggle with the system that Arteta wants to play. When you're when you don't have Jacker next to Party and you've got Danny Sapaios, who's incredibly one paced, takes too long on the ball, or Mo Elneny, who has a, I mean, he's got better, but he does have a. Uh, a bit of an aversion to a forward pass. He is the archetypal crab. You're going to struggle. But uh, like people say that Manchester City are boring. I think if you watch United games this season, they've been accused of being boring. I'm not sure that... I mean, if you look back, uh, I watched a game from like 2000, Arsenal versus Man United. It's like blood, guts, thunder, uh, like fantastic to watch, high-risk balls, just a beautiful, stunning football. 
I don't really think you see games like that anymore. Like even like El Clasico, you watch these games and they're they're incredibly tactical. Um, it's all about controlling possession. It's movement off the ball. It's strangulation without the physicality. I don't think that football outside a few games a season is really incredibly exciting. I think there's definitely a way to move forward. And I think that it will get better. But I, I don't think football is as interesting as it was 20 years ago, just in general. Um, and then um, I remember, what was the, the, second po- oh, the second point about bringing in more young players? Like we, we've given more minutes um, to under-21s than any club this season. And we're almost spoiled by the fact that Saka is like this, this old man in the squad now. But I, I, I totally agree with you. It's like, if you're going to... If you're going to tell me that David Luiz mistakes are a better type of mistake than what William Saliba can offer you, I can't have it. Like if mm. if um, if we're willing to indulge David Luiz getting red cards, not turning up to games he's not interested in, and just doing dumb shit for most of his two years here, then we should give those minutes to to, to Saliba. And I know that maybe that's a bit of a simplistic view, but Saliba at Nice, I'm looking at. Uh, SV Carboholic, who has been on the podcast um, with me before. Uh, 21 matches at Nice so far this season. So what we can establish there is that he's fit. Uh, first uh, for, for clearances. Um, first for headers one. I think that's in the Nice side. Third in the league for completed passes. Third in the league for attempted passes. Six in the league for, uh, for forward passes. Uh, 74 passes a game 91% pass completion rate are you fucking kidding me the kid's a teenager how could you not go you know what maybe if we gave this some games in the Premier League maybe it'd be pretty good and if it's not and you know the first half of the year in cup games or whatever is is we need to farm him out then farm him out but do it in the UK but you can't doubt the talent there I mean he's and he's a specimen right I mean it's quite slim but he's six foot four six foot five perfect he- he he has shades of you know, and people can say he's unproven. I accept that he's unproven. But for me, when I have seen him, and I've seen him in highlights, seen different bits of his games, and I, I just get senses of Virgil Van Dyke meets Vincent Company in a bar, Ooh, spend wow. a lovely night together, oh, and the yeah. offshoot is William Saliba, <laughs> um, and we we get to benefit from that wonderful night they spent together, but. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not saying he's going to be Vincent Company or Virgil van Dijk, but the whole point with guys like that of elite, top, top, world-class defenders is the athleticism, the physical attributes that they both share, which is pace, power, strength, height. Yep. You know, these are things that having them on their own will not guarantee you being as good as Virgil van Dijk or Vincent Company. But if you don't have them, you are much less likely to be as good as Vincent Company and Virgil van Dijk. You know, there ain't too many defenders who are five foot seven, you know, centre-halves who are amazing. I can think of Cannavaro who is undersized. And most of them, you have to be built a certain way. You have to you know, have certain attributes to succeed. Even Ruben Diaz comes in, he looks the part. And for me, I think Saliba has all of the attributes, physical attributes, to be a world-class defender. And whether he can improve on his mentality to get him up to that level, that elite level, well, that remains to be seen. But surely that 
is the part where Arteta says, this is where I come in and you need to be coached because you have everything else. You have the natural ability, you have the technical ability. So if you listen to the organisation that I believe I can impose, you will be absolute class. Arsenal will then benefit from it, will be more solid, will be more dynamic in our transitions because we've got a ball player at the back. And, you know, maybe the team looks more dangerous. But again, the aversion to even giving them a chance is kind of one of the things that sets me, sets my spider sense tingling, if you will. So I think if, if we were to give the benefit of the doubt to Arteta on this one, from what, from what I understand and the reason that Arteta talks about lacking development and the reason that we were fussy about what happened at San Etienne is I don't think his body was developed enough and that's why he picked up a lot of injuries last season. So if we're to be generous, I think you could say that the first three months that he stayed at Arsenal, I'm guessing that they were probably working on the fitness side of him to strengthen him up, to stop him picking up those like fussy injuries. And then the second half was put him in a team where he can get a run of games um, and develop the, the football a little bit more. Like he hasn't picked up an injury at Nice. He picked up a lot when he was at Saint-Étienne the year before. So the whole loan period has been a success. And I, I, I completely agree with you. you know, if, he, if, if, if a player of that talent can't get in to our side with our defenders who, like, let's be honest, like, they're, they're not ball players by any stretch of the imagination. Even Gabriel, I, I mean, who you know, has, has had player of the month awards this season, he's not comfortable on the ball and Rob Holding no. cert- certainly isn't. So hopefully um, he gets the opportunity to thrive next year. Hopefully he starts pre-season early to build his fitness and, you know, you want him to be a thorn in the side. And I, I, like, I do quite like the, you know, every time we think a player is down and out because he's been held back quite often, they've come back, you know, uh, Pepe, Everybody was like, oh, Arteta's being mean to him. We, he held him back and wrongly for William, we can now see. But he's a much better player now. And it's not because he's been played in the right position. It's because the player has knuckled down. Yeah, you know, He's got that Adebayor mentality that, you know, he just keeps on going and going and going. And it it seems like it might be bearing fruit. Still, I'm, I'm with you. Like too many off games, not enough consistency through the full 90, but we might see benefits. And I hope the... Saliba is given that chance next season because you can guarantee one thing. If we sell him to Dortmund, he'll be a £90 million player three seasons time. Absolutely guarantee that. So, um, and then, uh, uh, you know, moving off of the youth players, I don't know how much time you've got because it's dark in that window behind you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're all right for a minute. You're all right for a minute. uh, We can maybe just quickly run through who you expect to leave from the senior ranks. Yeah, and then we'll do a podcast next. We should do a podcast in the week, or you know, a Friday about players we we want to sign that we're excited about. We'll do a team talk classic. Yeah, yeah, I think there's um, a lot of time for that. To be fair, because there's a lot of names floating around not right now. But look, I mean, if there was one thing that you said earlier where I think you know you might might be being a little bit optimistic or or jump into some assumptions, it's around Aubameyang. Now, I perhaps am a little bit more nervous around what we've seen than what you might be. And there'll be a lot of people who, you know, have the same mentality as you, 
Because if you look at Obama Yang's last 10 seasons, this one certainly seems like an anomaly. That is one explanation for it. He's had an anomaly. He'll get back to, you know, normal service resume next year. And even if he's not at his highest of heights, he'll be dishing out his 20 goals a minimum a year. You know, that's, that's what he does. Another explanation could be that he's reached his cliff point. You know, the fact is, is he's not young anymore. It wouldn't be like, you know, a a shocking um, regression for a player's career at this stage. At the end of the day, he's into his 30s. He's a player who, granted, has scored a lot of his goals from in and around the box, you know, and has relied on that um, instinctive finishing. But he's also relied on his pace at times, certainly to try and get himself involved in the game. So he's, there's a lot of running in those, in those legs. And sometimes when things happen off the field, it can really turn your head for good. You know what I mean? It, it can put football into perspective, if you will. So I've got some concerns about Obama Yang. And I feel that, you know, I, I mean, obviously I love Obama Yang. I'd love him to come back to top to top form. But the problem is, is if we do set up with him and he doesn't recapture form, and this is less about it being a, a little blip in form and more about, you know, an, an ominous sign of things to come, then I'm not sure how we'll recover from it because there won't, if we don't go with Obama Yang, who, who are we going to have ready to come in afterwards? You know, it, we don't know what's happening with Lacazette. He may be gone as well. I think Lacazette's the most likely player to leave in the summer out of certainly at the attacking line, but probably out of the um, senior players outside of the ones we already know about, like Luis and stuff who are done anyway. Um, yeah, I think there's a good chance Laka goes. And if that's the case and we do start the season with an Obama Yang kind of Martinelli, Balogun hybrid behind them and possibly a signing that we make, but we don't know to what level that strike is going to be. Because, you know, if you're talking about them being a backup for Aubameyang, you've got to be going in at, if not world-class level striker, someone who has the potential to be it soon, quickly. You know what I mean? And can we sign that player, that that kind of player profile this year? Uh, And if we can, you know... Who who's that going to be, and and are we going to have too much competition to, you know, that w- they'll just drive up the price so much that we may end up committing all of our resources and not being able to address other issues. I worry. Basically, what I'm getting at is I I do worry from our uh, the point of view of our attacking personnel. If Aubameyang doesn't recapture that form, which I don't yeah. think is a gimme, you need Lacazette and Aubameyang to have a bath together and create the future <laughs> of Arsenal's forward line. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think the, you know, hope, uh, if you're going to go with Aubameyang, you have to build technicians around him to give him what he had at Dortmund. And uh, arguably, the the striker that Arteta wants Aubameyang to be is half you know, Aubameyang's finishing with Lacazette's build-up play. And I think at the moment, maybe some of the sadness in Aubameyang's eyes is because he's asking to drop deep and he can't do it and he can't link up the play. And as soon as two or three passes, you know, fizz off out for a throw in, he gets upset and depressed. And then his confidence falls and then he's nothing for the rest of the game. So, yeah, the the striking question is a, is a big one because we can't play like we do um, 
with Lacazette when it's Aubameyang and then you're switching players in and out. And then if you've got Aubameyang sitting on the bench, he radiates negativity when he wants to. Like he's one of those characters that can bring a room down just by how he looks. And uh, that, that could be tough next season. So, yeah. And if you were going to sell one striker out of Lacazette and Aubameyang based on form in the last six months, you'd probably be looking at Aubameyang. But then definitely getting top four with Lacazette trudging, <laughs> trudging through <laughs> the middle. I don't know. All right. Well, um, Johnny, uh, before, um, before we go, tell us where we can find um, your podcast or whatever you're doing at the moment because you are in the showbiz realm. Uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll I'll throw a little bit to the final ep of my How's Your Father series um, that is out. It's with the sensational Scummy Mummies, some parental podcast royalty there. So do check out really funny app. That's the How's Your Father podcast where you get all your podcasts. And I will be doing a, another little video on my YouTube channel, my Utabi YouTube channel this week, like we've done here looking at the season, trying to draw some <clears throat> kind of conclusions and analyse where we went wrong and points to feel positive about. So do check out, do keep an eye out for my Utabi, uh video dropping this week. And that should be it. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's been great having you on. Um, we're going to be uh, transfer merchants all summer talking about what's going on behind the scenes at Arsenal. Uh, if you're listening to this, make sure you share it with every single person you know. Tell them to go on their iPhones and click five star on the views uh, reviews. If you're a real fan of the of the site, I, I would hope that you would go on your partner's phone if they've got an iPhone and add a five star. <laughs> it is it is technically illegal, but it, it's in the the good of the Arsenal podcast world. So on that note, I'll say ciao for now, and we'll see you soon. Streaming the world's biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56 and the 2022 Winter Olympics. Peacock Original Bel Air from executive producer Will Smith and Westbrook Studios. Damn! Plus tons of new movies every week, including Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. In theaters and streaming only on Peacock, Valentine's Day. With all this and so much more to love, sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.